You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought you... My Lord. You got to leave it in, Frank. You got to leave it. We embrace uh, our mistakes. Do we? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I am a mistake-free Tom (laughs) Knezic. Wow. I almost stumbled the second time. I don't know what I'm thinking. You're in your head. I I am in my head. Like, I can't. I can't do it. Today we are buzzing into episode 147, uh, nice. which is still amazing. That that, that we're that is we're, that's a more, higher than I can count. Um, but uh, yeah, so but we do have a lot of really good native plant information for you today. And like usual, uh, we want to start with a little bit of follow up, and uh, and that's first. I do want to take some time to recognize. Well, one our. I guess we can call this our three-year anniversary it episode, we're, right? We're two days two days past our three-year anniversary, mm-hmm. so happy anniversary! Yeah, one hundred forty-seven episode, a couple hundred thousand of downloads, uh, and it's it's been quite a wild ride. Yeah, oh yeah. Definitely. Well, I've learned a lot. Yeah, and, uh, and I have as well. We we've, we've become much more polished. But not completely polished, no. <laughs> as evidenced as by it, the beginning of this episode. Well, to make it even less polished, I, I thought we could uh, celebrate our three-year anniversary. Oh, what do we got? Oh, 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 oh! That's I, I'm, I'm gonna have to reach for that. Stuff. If I wasn't already stumbling my words, so I was trying to get elderflower liqueur, which I couldn't find on the spur of the moment, but I did get a. Lemon and elderflower vodka. Nice. And I still have this bottle of uh, cactus juice margarita schnapps. I'm going to pa- pass on that right one. <laughs> that is, uh, uh, I think it's like a 1982 vintage All right. um, that came out of one of our coworkers' parents' <laughs> liquor cabinets when they cleaned it out. So, All right. Let me... Fran is now making the pour. Um, and this is, this, is a, this is a vodka? Yes. And we're just, it's a just generous straight. pour. It's a, a very pour. generous pour. I think I'm going to sip this. Uh, entire... I think it's a good idea to sip it. But I thought we needed to celebrate, and it does. Have I don't know why I smelled the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I went to go smell and <laughs> drink. And... All right, um, but but cheers to three years. Yeah, Tom, congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations to you too. Thank you. Let's let's see how this is. What do you think? You can taste the elderflower. You can. Yeah, a little you bit. Taste I, the lemon. A little bit of lemon. I'm assuming it's. Real? It is Smirnoff. It could be fake. Let's, let's is, see. Uh, does it really say? No, it doesn't. It's zero yeah. sugar. It just says vodka infused with the natural flavors and essence of real botanicals. Interesting. So very cool. Yeah. So um, it wasn't what I wanted, but at least it had elderflower in it, and I thought that was close yeah, close yeah, enough to celebrate. Maybe I'll mix it with the cactus juice and uh, oh, and oh, that will be one heck of a oh, that one heck a of a podcast. <laughs> but, but we also wanted to touch on uh, there was something else that was when I said the three anniversary thing that I was going to say as well, but I can't remember. But I do want to talk about how I was at the National Wild Turkey Federation conference. Yes, 
uh, or convention. Which, and, and National Wild, Wild Turkey Federation was one of our first guests, actually. Mm-hmm. It was within the first 10, yeah. would you oh, say? Yeah. yeah, I think it, maybe it was six. I don't recall. Yeah, it was pretty early. But um, we had our the state, uh, New Jersey state chapter president came on. And, uh, and actually, I've talked to a couple other uh, wild turkey researchers. I was just listening to a wild turkey podcast the other day, and they were talking about habitat restoration and how um in other in certain areas of country uh wild turkey populations are starting to go down they don't really know why but the one thing all these researchers can point to is say that there's a bunch of things that go in the mix but habitat is one of them is that they all can point to and say hey this is no matter if it's it's um uh do they have enough nesting locations do they have enough food on the landscape uh, do they have like the brood rearing habitat, like that short kind of grass where they can hide, but it's still open enough for the, the little young birds to get through and predators aren't going to pick them up. It all comes back to habitat. And that was actually one of the things that was really rewarding about this conference is, for, well, I'll get aside. First, being a hunter, it was just really cool to go and see some of the brands and the people that you you see on online and on TV um, in person. Uh, especially some of the YouTube folks, which I got a chance to talk to, like people like the Hunting Public yeah. and Catman Outdoors, and they're interested in the habitat side of things as well. And um, while they're making a living from a, a hunting YouTube channel, they're really invested in like how the habitat looks and um, and trying to use their their uh, influence to kind of leverage some of this to happen with people at home. So that was really cool to talk to to those guys about that kind of thing. That's you know, I I I didn't use it for my article this this buzz. I'm if I can find it, I might use it for my next buzz, but there was an article about a vegan reporter mm-hmm. that went hunting. Yeah. And then walked away with like a newfound respect for the hunters that she went hunting with. And yeah. it was it was very intriguing to me and it mm-hmm. was I I just thought that was an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I got to communicate with some people I'd met online before, and uh, uh, while I was hanging out with some folks that had way bigger followings than than we do, like Kyle Weibarger yes. and his partner Jake Brown, and like I said, the the hunting public guys and Catman Outdoors, and people were walking up to them and saying, "Oh yeah, I really love watching you on on TikTok and YouTube and all that." And I had a handful of people say, "Oh yeah, I listened to your podcast before," which is pretty cool. That is pretty um, cool. That was nice but, to hear. Yes, that was a lot of fun. It was nice talking to some of the the, uh, researchers at universities that are looking into this. And and really, they all kind of point to, like I said, a variety of different issues for this bird. But uh, a lot of them are pointing to habitat being towards the top of the list as those issues. Well, you've seen where I live. It's a little more congested. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's becoming an increasing problem that you get a rogue turkey that's just hanging out on street corners Mm -hmm. in a busy – where there is no natural area. You know, and and people are concerned because they're seeing it. They don't want to hurt it, but they don't look healthy. Yeah, like they they look out of place. You know, and that's that's an issue because like I just spotted turkey in our backyard yesterday, and it really isn't ideal habitat for tur- like the turkeys look mm-hmm. healthy, but it's not ideal grounds for them yep. where they're. Yep. And we had no, we had never seen them before. It was they got startled by a down mm-hmm. tree. So yeah. Um, you know, it's it's. I understand. Like yeah. I get it. Oh yeah, and uh, and the, the benefit of it is the the habitat that is really good for turkeys, also good for quail, oftentimes good for deer. Uh, 
really good for a lot of pollinators. In fact, hint, hint, that's uh, a lot of turkey food is insects and, and caterpillars and that kind of stuff. So, um, and a lot of that makes up a lot of bird food. Yeah. So while it's great for that, it's kind of like a symbiotic thing where uh, it's helping the in, attracting the insects is helping all kinds of other uh, carnivores in that sense. So that was just a really rewarding conference to go to, kind of see how this was a, an underlying topic that a lot of different people were talking about at that convention. And then um, then second, I want to promote the Native Seed Conference, which is coming up in Washington, D.C. It is March 26th through the 30th. Uh, I'll be there. Um, I think my brother's going to come. Awesome. And We know a lot of people yeah, that are going to be at that your, conference. Our next guest is going to be at that conference. Yes. I know there's a lot of people that I'm, I'm going to connect with down there. So if you if you listen to this and you want to uh, talk a little bit, I'm more, I'll be there. I'll be talked out. I'm going to come home with a, a, a horse or losing my voice again. So, like we did for Mash. Um, yeah. yeah, so hopefully you can catch up with me down there, and uh, and I get to meet a lot of people. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. No, some great stuff coming. You know, I'm really excited now that in-person stuff is happening again. There's all mm-hmm. these great conferences in our area, uh, and, and we've made so many new relationships since COVID started. The opportunity to get to, to see some of these people for the first time face-to-face. It's a it's a wonderful opportunity, so we're really happy and excited to be able to do that. Yep. Like you've gotten to see Kyle Leibarger twice this year already. Yeah, which yeah. you know, oh yeah. So it's pretty awesome, so, and hopefully yeah. more. He he yeah. wanted to go to that native seed conference too, but he's got a, a newborn and makes it a get little away. tough. Yeah, so, makes it a little yeah. tough. Well, awesome. All so, right. Well, let's get started with the plant stuff, and we're going to start with the plants we're vibing with this week. In that's hot. I almost wasn't ready. I just realized at the last second that. I oh, you had your other right, your I other sounds the, up. I had the other soundboard yeah. up, so got lucky. So, friend, why don't you go first? Because I like your choice this week. You know, and I, I I was asking you earlier. I couldn't remember if we have done this plant. Like we've done enough buzzes yeah. now that I know we've repeated. And I, I, for some reason, I think you may have done this one before because you've done a I video did, about yeah. this before, right? Mm-hmm. But my choice is American hazelnut, which is Corylus americana, because we have it right outside of our yeah. our yeah. office windows. So I look at it every day, and I've been noticing the male flowers, which are yellow-brown catkins, um, and they typically start in March. But we've been so mild this February mm-hmm. that they're actually out a couple weeks early. So yeah. it's, that's what made me notice them. Uh, and they, they'll typically last through June. Um, but Corliss is in the birch family, which also get catkins, so that, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Female flowers are obscure. It's a shade-loving, deciduous shrub, reaching at most 15 foot. Uh, at times, uh, most times it's 8 to 10 foot. I think for us, they're probably about 8 foot tall. We, we've cut them back yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, they're easily – speaking of cut, cutting back, they're easily pruned, and they heavily sucker. It's a facultative mm-hmm. upland. It does produce an edible nut that has a ragged, papery husk. That are uh, liked by both squirrels and birds. The fall color ranges from bright yellow to a deep uh, wine red, and it is native from Maine to Georgia, west to Oklahoma, and north to North Dakota. Yeah, and that's what I was going to point out there is the ones that we have outside the office just a year or two ago, we hacked them back to the ground. Yeah. Like it wasn't just a little light prune. It was, hey, cut them off at the base and see what happens. And um, they responded really well. Yeah, they're back six, seven, maybe eight foot at the tallest points. And uh, I know it's another thing foreshadowing to my article later that works really well in a hedgerow. Because yeah. it can, they can get – since they sucker, they get really thick. They do. And even though there aren't evergreen, 
it's it's gonna direct wildlife people hard to see through yeah. there's a lot of benefits and, there and they do i mentioned it's it's shade loving they do really like mm-hmm. that that shade and they can take uh uh shade to shark uh part shade so it's you know keep that in mind if you're adding it to your property but it's nice to get that that mast producing plant that that helps squirrels helps birds helps a, a few different types of things and you can also enjoy them as well yeah oh what, definitely what do you have this week uh, I picked Acer rubrum, which oh, nice uh, which is red maple, and it's another one we've done before, and I think I've done it before for this exact same reason is because <laughs> it's blooming now. It is, and um, and I think it's people think red maples bloom, and yeah, it has a I guess you'd call it a flower, but it's uh this red like red and yellow flower that's uh, at the tip of a lot of their their stems, and um, the issue why you don't see it see many other flowers is because they're often uh, way above your head, yes. but they're really, really good for pollinators. And um, actually, can you play the Tom's Petty music? Oh, yeah, I can. Maybe. You belong among the wildflowers. I want to get into something that always bugs me, and right. it also bugs Kyle Eibarger because we talked about <laughs> All it, right. and I've seen him talk about it online. This is one of the things I really admire about him is he does not care about no. about riling people up online about no, certain not stuff. not at all. And also Benjamin Vogt just did a, a long post on this too. They, they beat me to the punch in that dandelions are not really that great for, for pollinators. It becomes a thought that people have that they are, they're great. And, uh, and and I wouldn't say that they're necessarily bad for pollinators. They're just where we see stuff. But they aren't. They're not. Don't really have. From what I understand, they don't really have a lot of nutrition for pollinators. It just tends to be what's out there, and it's easy to get. You often see a lot of generalist pollinators on them, not your your specialists. Um, but something like red maple provides way more nutrition for these pollinators, and that's just one of probably a, a dozen different species in um, in our area that are providing really good nutrition, but they're becoming more and more absent from the landscape. So you're relying on, on dandelions. So there's, you're going to see the stuff saying, Oh, leave the dandelions, do all this stuff, how they're so good. They really aren't that good. Do I advocate you should go out and try and get rid of them? Uh, probably not. It's probably, they might be causing more harm than good. And I don't know enough about their, they're here and they tend to pop up everywhere, which makes me lean to could they be invasive? I no one really I, wants I, them. I, no yeah. one's planting them in their property. Yeah. They just happen to take over if if left unchecked. And there are some native dandelions, but the ones you typically see in your yard are not the native ones. Correct. Um, so it's just uh, when you see those posts on social media, like just understand that. That's really no, you need to plant native plants because that's what's going to benefit these pollinators. It's not it's one of the. This is what I guess I harp on, and same thing with Nomo May. It's I don't want people to be confused and say, "Oh, I'm doing my part because I'm leaving the dandelions." You're really not doing that much. That's not like saving the pollinators. Plant some native plants. That's saving the pollinators. This is kind of like the. Uh, it's the Ralphie meme. And it's yeah. from Ralphie, yeah. I'm helping, but you're not. You're really not helping. You're just not doing anything. Some some of the so. best arguments that I've heard against them. If you go back and listen to our episode with Sam Drogi, which was again mm-hmm. pretty early on in the first twenty episodes yeah. for the yeah. what what was it called the um, uh, the USGS uh, B Inventory and Management Lab. lab. So yeah. that's someone I trust. Yeah, he is an expert. You know, if he's mm-hmm. telling me this is bad and for the reasons why. 
I'm I'm gonna believe Sam. Yep. I'm gonna believe Sam nine times out of ten. Yeah, and we've had people write in. Uh, I namely want someone from Canada, uh, probably this time last year. Yes. <laughs> and saying how what a problem they are where they live, and um and how it's like a really really they just will will really spread rapidly if you let them go to seed. So I could see. I know with other invasive plants, uh, one of the things I recommend is targeting uh, targeting use of herbicide on those plants to get them off the landscape as fast as possible yeah. so you don't have uh spreading through rhizomes or through seed um so i can understand that but i wouldn't i'm not i need to learn more before i advocate for that on dandelions yet but it's i guess what i want to make clear is if you're leaving the dandelions that's not what's helping plant yes. native plants uh like red maples like well like spring beauties will pop up uh, well, i don't think you went sometimes. into it what are some of the the, the larval host that, that red maple. Oh, yeah, just on this is, um, and this is, again, from Jersey Friendly Yards. Uh, it's a larval host for the rosy uh, maple moth, uh, the cecropia moth, which is a cool one. And is that all that's on here? Yeah, those are the two that, that Jersey Friendly Yards lists on uh, on their webpage. Um, yeah. And then it also, there's a lot of caterpillars that will eat on it, which is a food source for birds, like we just mentioned before with turkeys. So not that I think turkeys are flying up there, but... Other birds are going to get and get the caterpillars yes. up there. Yeah, that's so, true. That's yeah. true. Awesome. Two great choices. Uh, if you don't know them, uh, familiarize yourself with them. Maybe these are plants mm-hmm. that we'll cover on a native plant every day with Tom and Fran. And uh, uh, you can't go wrong, I think, with either one. Just make sure you have the space and the right conditions before yep. you plant either of them. So exactly. uh, what do you think? You want to do a little bit of this or that? Sure. So last uh, buzz, our articles were very similar. I had the cultivars. What is a cultivar or or what is it? Uh, misleading facts about cultivars mm-hmm. from the University of Maryland Cooperative Extension. Tom had what is a native plant from the Piedmont Master Gardeners, and we have a winner. And it was the squeaky wheel. Got the grease this week. Uh, I won 22 to 8. <laughs> I, I would oh, like we're doubling to, no, up. No, we're doubling you know, up on the complaints this I, week. I have to get your Tom's Petty on the soundboard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I would like to think that it was due to merit, not due to me complaining. But I, more than likely, it's a combination of both uh, for that one. No, I, th- I think I, it had merit, I and I think, think people really liked it. Was your article had a little bit more? Um, it kind of broke Substance. down some good arguments. There's some good to, stuff there. To, My article, not that it was it was bad anyway. It was really good. It was just it was more of an overall descriptor saying, "Hey, this is really local. What yeah. a group is doing to help you plant with native plants and some great ideas yeah. and initiatives that they're doing." Mm-hmm. So it, we appreciate you voting. Regardless, thirty people voted, which yeah. we love. Oh, yeah. Thank you for voting. Um, I'm actually going to go first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to choose to go first. Um, Mine is a very long article, and I'm not going to read the whole article, but I'm going to try to – it's a shame because it's very well written, and it's a little poetic. It kind of weaves a story, so mm-hmm. it's impossible to read it all. It's called Giving Bambi the Boot, uh, and this is by Brian Payton from – I don't know how you would pronounce that. Hakai? Hakai, Hakai magazine. Yeah, I guess. And this was actually uh, given to me from one of our listeners, but I'm going to save that until we do the listener shout-outs. And uh, I'm going to do the intro, and I highlighted a couple articles, but this is one I really recommend you going back and reading the whole article because I think you'll get a lot out of it. 
clear blue sky above a forested island surrounded by glittering sea, wild, uninhabited, and protected. It appears as if we're approaching paradise. We cut the boat's engine and nose into a rocky beach. Crowned with Douglas fir, Gary oak, and arbutus trees, DRC is one of the 600 islands and islets scattered between mainland Washington State and British Columbia's Vancouver Island. An invisible border divides the islands into uh, the San Juan and Gulf Islands, uh, which is Canada, archipelagos. Uh, prior to colonization, indigenous people hunted, foraged, and gardened there as they did on islands throughout the Salish Sea. Then between 1891 and 1924, the government of the day sent uh, lepers here, mostly men of Chinese descent, and essentially left them to die. Now within Canada's Gulf Islands National Park Reserve, Darcy is part of a groundbreaking study that imperiled island ecosystems and climate change. Tara Martin, the project's lead, is a professor of the Department of Forest and Conservation Science and Liber Arrow Chair. Is that how you – Liber Arrow? Uh, I don't know that. Yeah, I'd say Liber Arrow Chair. Chair in Conservation at the University of British Columbia. She has brought her team of grad students here on the spring day to collect evidence of what she calls the greatest environmental tragedy facing these islands. It's part of a problem that has become common in North America and around the world, a problem with clear causes and what at first appear to be achievable solutions, if only it were that easy. Once every day is safely ashore, Martin abounds ahead. Her enthusiasm is infectious. As her students fan out the forest edge, she traces a path through the trees that seem to the untrained eye to be thriving, but to Martin, they are a stand of living dead. To glimpse this forest future, she advises me to ignore the green canopy six stories above and look down at my feet. The understory should be thick with flowering plants and shrubs. Instead, it's mostly brown and spacious. If there were no deer here, she said, it would be all green all the way down to the bottom. Colombian black-tailed deer range from the southern British Columbia to southern California and as far east as the Cascade Range in the uh, southern Sierra Nevada. They are native to this archipelago. Uh, they are also wildly out of balance. By the late 1800s, foreign settlers had exterminated the island's cougars and wolves, the deer's primary predators, and alienated indigenous people from the traditional deer hunting grounds. Over the past century, wildlife managers here and across the continent encouraged the proliferation of all deer species, popular game animals. More recently, changes in regulations and cultural attitudes have resulted in a dramatic drop in hunting – Deer have never had it so easy. Martin estimates our population on the island is now 10 times what it was before colonists arrived. Uh, I just want to – it's getting tough. Uh, let's see. Um, deer have been on human minds and in human lives for eons between 120,000 and 800,000 years ago. Homo erectus relied on deer for food on the island of Java. A Neanderthal living in what is now Germany carved chevron shapes into the deer bone. 51,000 years ago. Between 33,000 and 30,000 years ago, Paleolithic people painted on the walls of Chavot Cave in, in what is now France. Among the animals they left for us to ponder are red deer, reindeer, and Megaloceros, a large deer to have – the largest deer to have ever lived. Um, deer are special. We're not talking about a plague of locusts, rats, or venomous snakes. We're talking about deer, and whenever the word deer and problem come together – Many people have big, big feelings. Both indigenous knowledge and Western science have long recognized that deer can have big impacts wherever their predators are few, causing a trophic cascade, the ecological term for changes throughout a food web. Aldo Leopold, the first professor of game management in the United States, famously observed a century ago how overabundant deer on Arizona's uh, Kaibab Plateau degraded the habitat to the extent that their population collapsed. I now suspect he wrote in his seminal A Sound County 
Almanac that just as deer herd live in mortal fear of its wolves, so does a mountain live in mortal fear of its deer and perhaps with better cause. For while a buck pulled down by wolves can be replaced in two or three years, a range pulled down by many deer may f- fail to replacement in many, de- uh, many decades. Tara Martin has been studying the effects of overabundant deer for more than 15 years because some islands in the Salish Sea have deer and some don't. They provide a natural experimental setup to measure deer's effects on the environment. Martin has found that palatable plant species cover richness and diversity are 92% lower where deer are common and 52% lower where deer are scarce, less than a 0.08 per hectare. Uh, hectare. Hectare? Hectare. Hectare. All right. uh, Compared with areas with no deer at all, on some islands, native black-tailed deer and exotic fallow deer occur at densities of over 20 per square kilometer. The resulting loss of understory means the loss of habitat for numerous bird species, which rely on the first 1.5 meters above the forest floor for cover, nesting sites, and food such as flowers and seeds. There are over 300 species in this ecosystem that are being negatively impacted by overbrowsing, Martin says. Many of those plants… Many of those are plants, but it also includes bumblebees and songbirds and our amazing alligator lizard and sharp-tailed snake species that are at risk of local extinction. While her work has helped to establish that overabundant deer are threatening the local ecosystem, she suspects the effects could also reach beyond this place. Here on Darcy Island, she and her team have set up soil moisture meters and camera traps to gather evidence that overabundant deer may make forests drier. Drier forests are more likely to burn frequently and intensely, releasing carbon into the atmosphere and contributing to global uh, climate change. Let me skip ahead a little bit here. One of the most ecologically sound approaches, depending on the available habitat, is to reintroduce or support the recovery of native predator populations. But where there's practicality or politically impossible, where that's practically or politically impossible, the options on the table are – Traditional hunting, culling by sharpshooters, and fertility control. In 2020 paper, Texas A&M University environmental ethicist Claire Palmer and co-authors suggest that the last of these might be best in terms of deer welfare. But in terms of naturalness, lethal control may be the edge because it's similar to predation. Limited resources might also tip the scales toward lethal control because it's cheaper and logistically simpler. But Palmer and the others write there is no simple or single answer as to what constitutes ethical management. One thing is clear. It's unethical to do nothing. If you're worried about ecosystems, Palmer says, it seems like there's a reason to to reduce the deer population. If you're worried about human welfare, given the ways we live, it seems like there's no reason to reduce the deer population. If you're worried about the animal welfare, it seems that there's a reason to reduce the deer population. Uh, traditionally, conservation and preservation – has all been about not intervening, she concludes, but the additional pressure of climate change, interventionist conservation seems much more pressing. While Martin and her team continue to study the link between overabundant deer and climate change, she believes that learning to live with predators, boosting deer hunting, and returning indigenous stewardship to the island would help restore balance and allow native plants and bird species to thrive. Perhaps it could even serve as a model for others facing similar problems. If ecosystems like this are to survive outside hard-to-reach islands, the data indicates that governments and wildlife managers will have to act, Martin says. She hopes her work will help illuminate what's at stake so they and everyone else can make a tough decision with their eyes wide open. So it's a lot to yep. think about, and I only read maybe a fifth of that article. Oh, yeah. There's there's yeah. a lot I really had to skip through. Um, but it's interesting some of the facts that 
you know, over deer population can attribute to harming over 300 species of, of animals and pollinators. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And that it's interesting that they have this control area, these islands that have deer that they can really watch. You mm-hmm. know, if, if the indigenous uh, people of the time and, and area were able to hunt those deer and keep that population mm-hmm. in check, and there were wolves and other things just left unchecked, just watch, watching how that island degrades and you have islands that affects and islands that it doesn't, you do have that control, which is interesting to see. But it's a conversation not many people want to have. We have it on the podcast all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a tough conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think Dr. Jay Kelly was saying it's an, if you're an animal rights activist, overpopulation is a mm-hmm. – It's an animal rights issue. issue. Yeah, yeah it's, so. by having too many deer on the landscape, you're preventing hundreds if not thousands of other animals to live. And that's animals. So because yeah. if uh, – it Viburnum dentatum is a, a species, a shrub species that deer like to eat in our area. And if they eat all the viburnum dentatum and you don't have those plants, like we don't at our our uh, farm down the street because they're all browsed by deer, then all the species that rely off of that plant to survive, uh, they can't exist. Yeah. So, so there's there's insects, there's all kinds of stuff. And then there's the things that eat the insects. They can't exist if that species of plant doesn't exist because there's too many deer on the landscape. And it hits home because – and you know walking through mm-hmm. the natural areas around here, there isn't much of an understory much of, oh, or yeah. a healthy under, mm-hmm. understory. Where there's a, a thriving understory is a lot of the time it's it's invasive material. Yep. Um, yep. And and that's that's something that we're used to at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know I've mentioned I'm not sure that my kids would know what a healthy forest is supposed to look like if they saw it because I don't think they've ever seen it in their yeah. lifetime. Yeah. So yeah. The, the one segment that you read was kind of interesting when they're talking about, um, the different, uh, strategies they have to combat deer overpopulation, whether it was like, uh, was it uh, hunting sharpshooters or fertility control? Yeah. I know some of the research done on the East coast has found that fertility control while there's a couple of things here. One is, uh, it has, not been very effective no. in no. in practice um and then even when it is effective i guess it throws the deer's hormones out of balance so that doe will remain in heat longer making bucks more attracted to her and running all over yeah. and in 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 highly urbanized yeah. areas causing or potentially causing more traffic accidents cuz you have deer running around yeah. like crazy cuz they they're trying to mate um and then one of the things, and I don't remember I heard this, but they're saying is it's presented in here as being a more ethical solution, but it's like it's more ethical to trap a deer and then cut it open and, and eliminate its its ability to reproduce yes. just so it can live. You don't feel bad killing it. Like that's more ethical than actually just killing it. And actually, and, we, we both listened to the podcast Deer Humans. Yeah, maybe that, it was there. That, that we spot, Yeah, and it was all the mishaps yeah. from what were happening to deer being left go too early and mm-hmm. having infections and yep. and all the problems that it was causing there. Yeah. And um yeah, to, like if you put it in a, a human perspective and not to say that this is even the same thing, like that would be really frown, frowned upon. Like that's yeah. not good. Um and the other thing when I think about that too is well we've seen in New Jersey how sharpshooters have been really effective yeah. when it comes to this. But um it's it's important to remember that there aren't very many animals. Humans are really one of the only ones that die of old age. Yeah. 
um, deer and turkeys and all this stuff. They're fighting to survive every day, and uh, and very very few of them die just because they got old. Yeah. Um, even the ones that do get old tend to get eaten while they're still <laughs> still alive. <laughs> and so it's. I don't know. Again, this is anthropomorphizing a little bit, but if I was a deer, I think I would rather just just everything goes black and yeah. not suffer. Yes. Than then being let a, go and a, suffer. Yeah. 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 Or not even let go, just walking around and then all of a sudden a, a wolf is on my back and yeah. I'm dying a more brutal death, like in fighting to survive or starving to death or all that kind of stuff. It's um and at the end of the day, the deer doesn't care. They don't care how they die. It's just that they died. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. If you think of humane, if it has to happen, what's more humane? You let them starve or or let the population thrive. So it's that's a giant. I know I'm just barely scratching the surface of a giant like environmental ethics debate. Um, so, yeah, feel free to weigh in on this, too. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, it's, 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 it's something gonna... I've – I go through my head and – this is what I do for fun. I go through my head all this stuff over and over and over. And it's like you can always answer with, a, oh, but what if? And then what if this happens? Or how about this scenario? There's no, like, there's no perfect answer. There's always a, an answer that has, again, anthropomorphizing, but it has pain in it. So You know, we uh, I was mentioning to you last night we had eight deer in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And they, they hung out for a while, and it was – I was trying to watch what they were browsing. So they were all kind of going after our – now our lawn, we didn't do the leaves in the back and we, we didn't mow uh, late into the year. We kind of left it go. Mm-hmm. So they were all kind of browsing like this fresh – I don't know if it was grass or weeds coming out of the ground. Yeah. Um, English ivy, which I don't think really helps them. Even though there was food there, there was plenty of poison ivy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but they were going out. I have one Canadian ewe that they were freaking out about. If you ever mm-hmm. see eight deer eating on one plant at one time, <laughs> you know, the only thing is it's on a slope, so they can't – they've kind of already browsed what mm-hmm. they could reach. They're all trying to get on their hind legs to reach, Yeah, yep. you know, what they could from this plant. And I'm thinking if, if they're going crazy over trying to reach that, how little food is there yeah. for yep. them to eat right now? And how is that good, mm-hmm. you know, because you have eight deer wandering in a herd through a residential yeah. neighborhood. Trust yep. me, I may have natural area behind my yard, but it's it's a residential area. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, they're probably what, like quarter acre lots maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not big. So. Yeah. No, that's a, a fascinating article. And, um, and yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to sitting down and reading that whole thing. It's a good one. It, yeah. it was hard to pick what to read out of that because there was so much good yeah. information but just for the sake of time uh and what do you have this week yeah I'm, I'm, so uh i almost had a very similar article it was an opinion piece i always tend to do this where i tell you the yeah. article i was going <laughs> to present and then i don't i present something else but uh i i'm saving you guys because it was behind a paywall and i didn't want to get, ah, get a, anyone upset for being behind but it was the article i really liked uh, was called I bought a gun and I intend to use it <laughs> and, and it was about a guy who, who lived in Virginia and he was uh, suburban Virginia and he was going to become a deer hunter because of what they were doing to was that the uh, one where you said every time you went in it would cha- give you a different name for the article no I think I think Brad Mazursky posted uh, that okay. online and that's right. where um I was going to use it but then I couldn't get to work okay but uh so maybe I'll do that next time but the article I did choose, I also found on LinkedIn, I think. I forget who posted it. I should have given them Some great articles on LinkedIn shout out. recently. Yeah. But it was from uh, civileats.com, 
and it was called The Edges Matter. Hedgerows are bringing life back to farms. And again, I'll read a little bit. Oh, awesome. I'll, uh, I'll give my input. I always say I'll save my input for the end, and then I end up giving it in the middle. So I like I'll try and make a point when, I, when right. I'm giving my opinion versus what they wrote. Okay, so. awesome. Researchers have found that planting hedgerows helps farmers sequester carbon in the soil, manage pests, and provide habitat for pollinators and other wildlife. More than 20 years ago, Craig McNamara started planting woody vegetation on his family's farm. McNamara was an early organic pioneer in the region, and he prioritized weaving nature into the agricultural landscape at a time when it was far from popular. Native shrubs and trees lined a creek that ran through the wild, uh, walnut farm. Plants became boundaries between orchards and row crops, uh, basically hedgerows, and didn't take long for the 450-acre organic farm to come alive, says Craig's son, Sean McNamara, who joined the operation in 2014. Bees, owls, ladybugs, and many other creatures still routinely visit the farm. Just a few weeks ago, a bobcat strolled through the bushes along the creek. These above-ground benefits to hedgerows are easy to spot, but a few years ago, McNamara watched as a soil scientist dug into the dirt surrounding them. She scooped up dark, rich, compacted soil, uh, mycelial strands tangled within. I think we're in the middle of summer, and the soil, even in the topsoil, was moist, he recalls. It was a memorable site in drought-riddled California. That scientist, Jessica Chiartis, was studying the soil around hedgerows. She selected a couple dozen farms in the Sacramento Valley, an area that, with plenty of well-established hedgerows thanks to a ca- uh, campaign initiated more than 20 years ago that sought to bring native vegetation back to local farms. California farmers who are contending with drought, flooding, and long lists of pests can ruin fruits, nuts, and vegetables haven't fully embraced planting native vegetation adjacent to fields, but as the state encourages and incentivizes climate-friendly agricultural practices, they might just start. Hedgerows are straightforward strips of of shrubs or trees roughly 15 feet wide, but they highlight nature's uh, complex work, said Chiartis. At the surface, the soil... Uh, the soil around them, you have buildup litter, leaves, stems, dead insects, feces, what other organic materials are deposited. She explains, when it rains, the organic matter dissolves and moves deeper in the soil profile. That litter layer also protects soil temperature and moisture, creating a stable, thriving so- uh, soil food web that pulls organic matter deeper into the ground. Uh, we are not fighting biology, she said. It's efficient. Recognizing that, the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, or NRCS, which we refer to often, offers a program to sar- farmers nationwide nationwide that provides technical assistance and some funding for hedgerow planting. The Xerxes Society for Invertebrate Conservation is also focused on the expansion of pollinator habitat, including hedgerows. Individual states, including Minnesota and Iowa, have also encouraged the planting of native vegetation in the form of prairie strips. Hedgerows have been planted in farming and rural landscapes for thousands of years, according to Sam Earnshaw, a longtime sustainable farming advocate who helps growers establish hedgerows through NRCS, ancient ancient hedgerows drew property lines, confined livestock, created windbreaks, and even uh, provided food and medicine. The industrialization of farmland in Great Britain, uh, though, led to the removal of about 200,000 miles of hedgerows between the late 1940s and early 1990s. In the U.S., efforts to introduce natural vegetation to agricultural land took a huge hit, Earnshaw says. In 2006, I just want to see how much lower I had, uh, the... The year a serious E. coli outbreak was linked to fresh spinach grown in California's central coast region. The outbreak uh, sickened more than 2,000 people and caused three deaths. In the five years following the outbreak, a study found that 13% of the plants and trees growing along rivers in one of California's uh, leading produce-growing regions were eliminated out of fear that they would provide habitat for wildlife-carrying pathogens. After, uh, and a few years later, CARP says a survey of California produce growers found that 40% were still removing habitat even a decade later. Harp says it's understandable, albeit misguided, practice. A 2015 study co-authored by CARP found that contrary to popular assumptions, the clearing of vegetation has been associated with increased prevalence of foodborne uh, pathogens over time. Shrubs, grasses, and trees are well-known filters from nutrients and pathogens, said CARP. 
so you might just be able to prevent pathogens from getting onto your farm field by having those buffers. Long says that while uh, many farmers have resisted planting hedges on their land out of fear of the trees and shrubs would only draw harmful pests, studies have shown the opposite to be true. Several years ago, she and other researchers collected bugs and hedgerows during growing seasons over two years and found that 78% of the insects were beneficial, while only 22% were considered pests. Hedgerows do bring in more natural enemies like ladybugs and parasitoid wasps that move into adjacent crops, she said. Her research has also shown that farmers who have hedgerows don't have to spray as many insecticides as the farmers who have no habitat around their farm. Insect biodiversity can also encourage more effective pollination in orchards, Along says because wild bees throw honeybees off their vertical methodical paths. The honeybee will f- kind of forget what it's doing and it will cross uh, over rows. You get poll- better pollination that way. That was something I'd never really considered before as yeah. a, a way for pollination. Uh, I want to chime in on that, but I have one more paragraph. All right. Though uh, establishing hedgerows can cost thousands of dollars, at least in the very first few years, requires a dedicated watering source, uh, a big deal in parts of California. Long's research has found that once the habitat is established, the pollination pest control that's provided result in a return on investment that lasts between seven to 16 years. So there's, yeah, there's, again, there's a lot there. Um, it's something I think most of you probably understand already when we talk about, well, again, we talk turkey habitat in the beginning and, uh, and quail habitat. Like that's a really great place for those kind of animals and deer too. Great kind of place for those animals to, to be in is those hedgerows, which kind of connect some of these strips of woods together and, and more natural yeah. areas together. Um, and then they actually help the farmer save money in many ways. Yeah. Um, I, I, this, yeah. There's a lot to love there. This, this article is really important for, for many reasons. And it's, I, I'm glad they highlighted the work that Xerces does mm-hmm. and the USDA yeah. natural resources. Cause we're aware of them helping farmers plant riparian buffers to help filter Filter that area and mm-hmm. and all the good that it does and the, and the beneficial insects and yeah. removing a nutrients harmful nutrients from the ground and protecting your water sources, um, so many so many important factors that kind of get overlooked or they're kind of they they're kind of considered a myth I think to to a lot of farmers, um, mm-hmm. but the the evidence is there in in the science and the data. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I, I think it's important and it's uh it's just swaying some of those those notions that farmers have that, hey, this is something, even in the East Coast, um, a lot of the farmers here are just, they're one, they're farming right up to the hedgerow or they're getting rid of the hedgerow entirely because it's shading out their crops or it's causing all these other issues. Or they want a the little bit of extra land. A little crop. bit, yeah. yeah. You're, you're talking about a very low margin yeah. product. And if I can get just a little bit more space, that's the difference between being in the red or the black. Look at um, Jennifer from uh, Nutrition for Longevity. Yeah, you know uh, how important native plants were to mm-hmm. her regenerative regenerative farming practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh because she was saying without it, you can't really do what you need to do mm-hmm. without all the beneficials that native plants bring. Yeah, in. yeah, and, and that's uh, one of the things that they've really done a lot of research on is if you have those hedgerows or prairie strips, you're bringing in pollinators. One, which is going to help some crops, but not all. Some crops are wind pollinated, so you don't need yeah. the the, the pollinators in there, but you're bringing in beneficial insects too, which are going to eat cutworms and eat some of your, your crop pests that you might have and, um, or parasitic wasps. So everyone, um, if you're a gardener, you're probably familiar with the tomato hornworms, which are actually a type of sphinx moth, yeah. which turned into like the, like a similar to a hummingbird moth, really beautiful looking, um, or really cool looking. I wouldn't necessarily call them beautiful, but they're interesting. Yes. 
Um, so that's what that turns into. But you have these parasitoid wasps, which is this is actually really cool if you haven't seen it, is these wasps, like uh, I think it's the great golden digger wasp is one of them, yeah. will actually go and uh, will sting the, the uh, tomato hornworm um, and paralyze it. It'll like pick it up and it'll fly through the air, like dodging all these yeah. birds that are oh tasty treat <laughs> for me now, trying to get this uh this flying caterpillar and bring it to its nest, bury it in the nest, lay its eggs in it, and then the larval stage. So again, it's one of those things. If you don't have, in that case, the plant being a yeah. tomato, you're not going to have that tomato hornworm, which means that the wasp doesn't going to have the caterpillar to then lay its eggs in to. To build up, build the the larvae, and then create more wasps. It's um, you need it's well, it's the food. balance, yeah, yeah it's, it's the balance. It's, so it's uh, it's just yeah, you need that kind of habitat. So while it's a garden pest, it's serving as a food source for for something else. So, but if you don't have the habitat strips or those hedgerow strips or prairie strips to attract those kind of, well, attract first those other insects that yes. are going to have those natural, um, I shouldn't say natural, uh, have the insects coming in naturally, then you're going to get the predatory insects, and they're just going to kind of spill over into your garden or into your farm or that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of really, really good things for hedgerows. And then you can especially get, like I mentioned hazelnuts before, or you mentioned hazelnuts, get hazelnuts in those hedgerows. Now you have something that's feeding wildlife or feeding you. So elderberry is another one. There's lots of good things there. Uh, th- no, there's a ton of fantastic choices that can really help their businesses and and what they do and help the environment and the ecosystem. So it's it it just seems it's weird. And I know we've talked about this. It seems common sense, but it's amazing how many people don't practice these these practices, mm-hmm. like or or that it's a myth to them, or they're they're not sold that it's real. When science just keeps coming back, improving, 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 that these yep. things are really beneficial mm-hmm. to, to everything and what we're doing. But two fantastic articles. Uh, we, we've adapted the practice of posting now Monday afternoon uh, so everyone has the weekend to kind of absorb this, and then you'll be able to vote on Monday uh, and and read both articles. We'll put links on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. So make sure you vote because – And of course, the choice is yours. All right, so – you want to? What do you want to do next? You want to do listener shoutouts? Yeah. All right. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out. It's kind of funny, Fran, as I'm watching you. No one gets to see this except me, so no. I feel like I need to explain it to people. Yes. But when we go into those different segments, because this is uncut, like we, yeah. we're literally yeah, just we flowing in one to one. We don't edit this. Um, Fran is f- to keep things on pace without like a long like awkward gap in there. Fran is like frantically looking for the button to push for listeners. <laughs> shout out and to I his, should know. his fingers going all over the, the how, sound. How many times I have I know. pressed that button? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. what you don't see, like when Tom asked me to play Tom's Petty, yeah, the soundboard got- is full, so I have a, a soundboard on my phone. I got to try to yeah. – to, and, and then I don't have the volume turned up on the phone because I'm afraid something will come through. Yep. So I, yeah. I don't You mean know. like I, one of your ringback tones? Or yeah. Something? Yeah, I got to – I have to kind of – condense this to make it a little <laughs> bit easier before the next buzz uh i'm gonna let you go first this time yeah so i going. i already kind of shouted out some of them before um but it was when i was at that nwtf con- uh, convention i was just uh amazed that there was people there who had listened to us before um and uh one of them was a guy alan summerford who 
And when I met him, I'm like, I just heard your name someplace. I don't know <laughs> why, but I just did. And I'd heard him on uh, the Land Legacy podcast on the flight down. Oh, they were okay. interviewing him All about right. he has a cattle ranch in um, in out northern Alabama, and um, how they were managing it for both cattle and wildlife. And how you awesome. had all these different native plants that were in there. Um, and you can actually see his farm on Kyle Leibarger's TikTok channel. They just did a, or he had a video of them, Roundstone Seed, doing a seed harvest there. Oh, very For cool. Fall Panicum uh, last fall. So um, that was really cool to see. And then, uh, yeah, as we're talking, he's like, oh, yeah, I've listened to your podcast before a couple times. So I don't know if he's listening to this one. But if he is, here's your shout out. Oh, awesome. So, and then I also had, like, I got to talk with uh, with Kyle Leiberger and then his business partner, who is off camera, but on their podcast, uh, Jake Brown. They actually both had uh, children recently. Kyle had awesome. a boy and Jake had a girl. So um within a month of each other so they took wow. a little hiatus from their podcast thing and now they're going to start it back up now they're getting a little older but it was just cool talking to them and that they listen and and you mentioned and they were they plants. were spreading the good word of the podcast as they yeah. introduced you to people, yeah it so. was i got to walk around this trade show with people and then like they were more they'd been there before and they were a little more connected than i was having walked down there for the first time and um and just yeah they're walking through and then uh introduce or in talking to people and say, hey, this is Tom. He's got Native Plants, Healthy Planet podcast. You really ought to listen to it. I'm like, that goes a long way. Yeah, it really <laughs> when, does. When he says it. It so. really does. No, it's just nice to hear. So I have a couple shout-outs. Mine, and you, I think you recognize the first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's our friend Catherine Malamphy from uh, Greenbelt Native Plant Nursery uh, in Staten Island and uh, our friend and colleague. And she actually supplied me the link to this article that I read today to try to help my losing ways. She, she said, here you go. You're welcome. So thank you. I used it, and I want to say thank you for listening and uh, and all the great work you do. And also Denise Alvarez, just because she shared such – she 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 felt it was inappropriate for the Native Plants uh, Healthy Planet Facebook group, but she shared with me a reel of a gentleman who's my age, uh, you know, in his in his fifties, Gen Xer, and all the things that we lived through in our life, and that out of all of that, the most fascinating thing was his bird feeder and what what type of birds come to his bird feeders. So I, that kind of resonated with me since I, I took bird photos all weekend and was texting them to people. So that one uh, I got a lot of fun out of, and I shared that on my Facebook page. So I really appreciate you for sharing that. Uh, and and always, you know, we could shout out all day long, but thank you to everyone that listens. And uh, we, we can't do this without three years strong, and, and the message keeps getting bigger, and the, the listener group keeps getting larger. And we couldn't do this without all of you, so thank you. So uh, speaking of listeners, we do have a question this week. I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So I read the transcript, but I didn't actually listen to the message, so I hope it's accurate to the transcript. Yes, I I would imagine that it is, but I'm going to play it now. Hi, Fran and Tom. Uh, My name is Zach Rittner. And I'm a high school science teacher in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Uh, some seniors and I just wrote a grant to install a pollinator garden on our school campus. And um, we actually are using Garden for Wildlife, like you talked about on your podcast. My question was, if we want to build a pollinator garden in our school's courtyard, which is completely enclosed, it's open to the sky, but it's completely surrounded by the building, what's the best way to attract pollinators like you know insects and birds to that area? Thanks so much. Love the podcast and looking forward to some insights. Bye now. 
Zach, thank you for calling in. Uh, I just want to say thank you for a shout out for Gardens for Wildlife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, I would also check with the Xerxes Society if you want to uh, check with Cass Urban Mead, who we've had on also. Mm-hmm. They are preparing their next round of uh, grants for pollinator gardens. And you could get plants from us, which are New Jersey ecotype and naturally adapted. So I would reach out. I know, I think it hasn't. I don't know that they published it yet, but I just got the information from them. So uh, it's coming out soon or might already be out. So I would check in for that also. But mm-hmm. um, I think actually the the idea of a pollinator garden in a courtyard is a fantastic idea because you're allowing anything that can fly in to fly in and you're giving them protection from predators. So. Uh, you can have birds coming in that can actually nest and hide. You know, it's going to be tough because that ecosystem is limited to mm-hmm. what can crawl in. I, you know, you always find, even though it may seem isolated, you're going to end up having caterpillars and other bugs that maybe you didn't think you would have. Mm-hmm. If, if you build it, they will come. I'm sure you'll end up getting squirrels. It may make it a little more difficult for these things to find it, but once. These things bloom. I think you're you're providing like an oasis in the middle of the desert. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I thought. I don't know how how insects tend to find this stuff, um, but it, somehow they do. Yeah, and uh, I well, Doctor Dan Rand was given a presentation years ago, and it showed like what they thought insects might see flowers look like, and how they because insects we see a certain. Uh, range of light waves and um but insects see like a different range and they can see some ultraviolet light so it's like flowers look completely different to them and so i wonder if there's like some kind of signature like a butterfly just happens to be flying over and sees this and like or if i or if there's a scent, scent that gets up yeah. in the air and like something that attracts them in some way i'm not i'm not the expert so i don't know that but from my experience it just seems like they just i've i've never tried it in a completely enclosed area but we had a farm field that had been a farm field for decades, and then the first year we put um, like native plants there for native flowers. It was just swarmed, swarmed with with this stuff. So I would imagine that that you'll have plenty of luck getting pollinators and birds in there easily. Um, you, you know, no things, problem. Things like coneflower that uh, keep keep their seed late goldfinches love i think you'll see Mm -hmm. a nice diversity if you plan accordingly just take note of light requirements i'm sure it's a little tricky and you're going to have a lot of a lot more shade than Mm -hmm. sun in a lot of instances but just map that out uh, so you know shade loving plants and and sun loving plants and uh, i think your students are going to love hopefully it's not a distraction at some point because everyone's (laughs) watching the birds and the the butterflies and you're hearing the chirping imagine at least for the birds they're probably like like i was as a, a fisherman and i would First, when I would go out fishing in the ocean, I would look and see, well, where are the birds? Because the birds are looking for bait fish in the water. And if you have birds that are, like, diving like crazy in the water, there's probably bait fish over there. There's probably bait fish. There's probably bigger fish. Um, And then number two is you just look where all the other boats were going. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, well, they're all going that way, so I'm going to follow them. (laughs) So, I, But I bet you, like, a lot of animals are just like that. They see that little bit of activity. And that says, oh, I'm going to go check that out too. It's like if you're fishing on a lake, it's the same thing. It's like you see a guy or someone sees you fishing near a dock or fishing near a log. All of a sudden, they're 100 yards away or 50 yards away. And then they're like basically on the same boat with you. It's like for whatever reason, people need to fish next to each other because they feel like, oh, that guy's got to be doing better than me. I imagine 
animals are very similar. So if you have bird, like one bird flies in, all of a sudden you're going to have multiple birds flying in because they see that one bird going yeah. in and out. So and and I would think that um, you know it being a courtyard that that more than likely kids are only going to be out there when it's uh, supervised. So you should be safe from vandalism, uh, hopefully, or just people picking flowers or kicking yeah. through. You know, like sports equipment, soccer balls hitting it or something like that. It it should be. A pretty well protected. They're going to come. I don't. As long as you plant the right plants, they are going to come. So, and, and it sounds like you're already dealing with the right people for this. So, you should be well on your way. And I appreciate you spreading uh, spreading the good word to your students uh, about native plants and local ecosystems. So, fantastic question. We thank you for calling. And for anyone else, please don't forget to call in. Uh, we would love love to get your questions. So, no grow read a book. We already no, did, we did I've, a I've been reading on on uh, I've been flying a little bit, so I've been okay. reading on the airplane. It is tough, um, and if I had another Tom yeah. Tom's Petty, this would be what it is. But like, I don't know. I'm just a bigger guy, so I feel rude if I'm reading a book and now I'm moving a lot. Um, well, I'm already encroaching on your your. I got wide shoulders, and uh, so I'm already like trying to minimize my impact on my neighbors. You doing audiobooks at all? Uh, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. So. You'd have to download I have it, the, I guess. I yeah. have the Libby app yeah. on my phone, and it's through the library, and you can renew your library card each year, and I haven't renewed it gotcha. yet. Gotcha. And uh, so I have not been doing any audiobooks because of that reason because I just haven't gone to the library to, gotcha. to renew my library card. But that, I, if I have, like, a quick uh, moment, that's I'm, – I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective now that you're just booked yeah. a flight, Fran. Are you in the camp of – recline your seat or don't recline your seat it's it's a long you know the first one's going to be overnight we're mm-hmm. we're growing we're, we booked a trip to croatia for our, um uh kind of like a, a belated honeymoon mm-hmm. so going out it's a 13 hour flight with a four hour layover in munich and coming home it's like a 10 hour nonstop. so i think you know we're going on one day and arriving the next i think you have to recline <laughs> But it's also an international flight, which I would mm-hmm. imagine there's a little bit more space than a domestic flight. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would. Think, I would guess so. Well, you've been yeah. to like Italy. What yeah, is it? I I haven't had issues on on planes over like abroad. Yeah. Um. With with leg room because you probably have a little bit more space. But, but domestic- I was I was on a Spirit flight once where I <laughs> I, didn't, I was in like the last row and my knees were like around the seat in front of me. Uh, now <laughs> it I will, wasn't even I couldn't move. I will say this probably I haven't flown a lot domestically recently, but probably like the last four or five flights I took were exit row, mm-hmm. which those seats don't recline. Yeah. Or most yep. of the time they don't recline, but you, you're given the luxury of the yeah. leg space. Oh, so yeah. um I don't I can't remember the last time I didn't have a exit row yeah i try and shoot for those when i can but now they always try and get you to pay extra but yeah i'm i'm definitely team um never recline really and i don't like it when the people in front of me do it because yeah. honestly if, if the it, you're not reclining in front that much. Of me honestly can't recline because my knees are tend to be in the back uh, of the gotcha. seat anyway um and that's not on purpose that's just uh that's just genetics that my legs are yeah. in that back of the seat. Yeah. So, yeah, the, it's a – This will be the first time – I appreciate when people don't recline in front of me. This it's, will be the first time me flying with Agatha, who is much smaller than me. Yeah. So I feel like I have the luxury of encroaching on her unused Oh, space. yeah, yeah. That, well, we're, <laughs> I, well, one of the reasons I ask is because um, my wife and my son and I are taking a trip, and I'm like, oh, put him it's in the already middle. nice when yeah. – 
it's just my wife next to yeah. me because she's she's fairly petite and uh so i can use up i just put the armrest up i'll use some of her seat too yeah. and then um and take over her leg room and now i got a 38 inch tall kid in between <laughs> us I'm, I'm gonna be living like a king <laughs> you're gonna have more room yeah. than you know what to do with i um, have a feeling that he's gonna be a handful on the plane too so how long of a flight is it it's only like two hours oh that's not We're too bad to florida that's so. that's that's less than when you drive up to the adirondacks yes if you think oh, about yeah. it so yep. hopefully that keeps but them keeps i'm more them i'm more worried and this is another oh i guess by the time people hear this i've already flown and already dealt with this but i'm worried about his like ears popping i remember that when i was a kid flying and i was like i didn't know what to do and i only learned through diving like oh if you just like move your jaw a little bit or you swallow that's why chewing gum works but i'll like um or you you know when you're like um you blow you hold your nose and blow you can do that and it'll like kind of clear your ears a little bit so i know it from scuba diving and i started doing on planes like oh this makes a lot of sense and it works so i'll just like i've gotten this thing now where i just kind of like move my jaw a little bit and i can like feel it and it'll pop my ears. Nice. So I'm trying. I've been trying to teach that to him and say, "Hey, yeah, go like this. <laughs> you'll, well, you'll pop your jaw and, that, and clear your ears." And then uh, that's what I'm worried about. He's going to freak out. His ears hurt. Now that I'm thinking about it, Tom, I don't know that I have flown for ten years. Really? Yeah, it's wow. been ten years since wow. I was on a flight. Yeah. Now that I think about it, so it's been quite some time. I haven't had to fly anywhere for business. Yeah. You know, it's been it's been quite some time. Yeah. What's been crazy, and I've was thinking about this for my secret, but I'll do this now. Is um, you sure we to, don't? I don't have a no, secret. I, I have another secret. Okay, I can tell. All, right, all right. Um, is uh, yeah, I I never used to like uh, flying was easy. I was never worried about it. But now that I have like a family, I'm like petrified of takeoffs and landings. I'm not really? petrified. I'm like still like okay. It's what I what brings me some calmness is yeah. saying well. If something happens, at least we'll be over quick, <laughs> which is kind of that's like, true. That's a sick thing to say, but that's it's like true. okay, yeah. I will, it's not like you're panicking be, in the yeah. air, like thinking, yeah. "Oh my god!" Like you have minutes before you die. Like, yeah. you're just not going to know. Yeah, it's, it's just going to um, happen. But yeah, I don't know. I I get like nervous on takeoffs, which and I brought that up. My wife, she's like, "How do you think I feel flying every time I've been on a plane?" And uh, so I well, think that's a much more common thing than I used to feel. And I think I've shared this with you. So my youngest son is currently going through flight school, mm-hmm. and he's just about done. He's getting ready to take the test for a private pilot mm-hmm. license. So it's his first step. And I was kind of shocked to find out that when you're going for your private pilot's license, you do solo airtime without an instructor. Hmm. You need to do that, and so much like cross-country time and all that. Yeah, so yeah. like – He's spending time up in the air by himself without a license, which scared the crap out of me. Because at some point you're t- you're taking off and landing without yeah someone in the plane, and he's doing touchdowns too, mm-hmm. like touchdown going right back up yep. and going to airports, you know, with without his instructor. Yeah, that's that scared me. Like it's mm. probably I'm sure it scared him, but it might have yeah. scared me more than uh, it scared you him. You know what? When you're in control, that's what I've always found. Like when I'm in control. I've just I'm a lot less scared. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I don't like roller coasters. That could have been my secret too. Ooh. Don't like roller coasters because oh, I, I can't slow us down or speed us up at my control. I it's, understand that. Yeah. You know what? As as a as a control freak, I completely yeah. understand that. But that was not our take it or leave it. We no, have a take it or leave it. Here. Actually, and it, what made me think of this? I was at a conference recently, and someone gave me a really awesome reusable straw. That I love and I have it with my hiking and, and camping stuff or whenever you know we're out and about. 
and I was looking at it, and I was like, this is pretty awesome that I don't have to use a straw, but do I even need a straw? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, it's it's great that you're not taking disposable straws, but do you have to have a – other than a milkshake? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, um. So I was going to say, a reusable yeah. straw – like, how many – how many because this one's made out of metal, and it has a cleaning mm-hmm. brush and a case, and, like, granted, you're only buying it once. Yeah. But now I'm cleaning it. I'm using water. Do you – are, are straws that necessary? I was uh, I almost never used straws up until I got I got one of these metal cups. Yeah, and then it was like, well, you kind of had to use the straw because it had the lid on it. And like, if I'm transporting around, you need the lid on it yeah. to keep from splashing yes. all over. And you can need the straw. So then I started drinking out of straws, and um, and and we had metal ones or plastic ones, and then um, but then I got this hydro flask, and I don't use a straw with this. And my like Yeti, I, I don't. Use when I a drink straw. out of a yeah, if I like have a cup at home, I don't drink out of a straw. No. Um, I guess it's like if you get fast food, but I usually t- not get the straw. Except they just sneak the straw in the bag now sometimes. But I tell them yes. oh, you can keep the straw, and then I would pour it in my reusable cup, which is a fantastic way. So to I drink still it. have the lid in the paper. I don't know how you get around some of the cups are, in a drive. Some of the cups are a little flimsy. Yeah. Um, you know when I go to get coffee sometimes. Mm-hmm. I take my Yeti in and yeah. say, like, I know how many ounces it is. I'm like, yeah. I'll just fill this. Yep. You know, yep. so I'm not even using huh. one of their their cups. Yeah. Although yeah. it, some people are a little perplexed when I do that. You yeah. Know, and I, I'm sure it's a little easier in Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks because yeah, yeah. they, they sell know their, them. They know their thing. Yeah, but uh, and Wawa, it's a lot of times it's self-serve, one price, yeah. self serve one price, so it doesn't matter. But uh, like regardless, I try to take my own thing in there, mm-hmm. but. Like an, if you got a soda from say McDonald's, you know they're filling it to the top. It, yeah. Like you try to squeeze yeah. that without a lid on it, and you're oh, you're yeah. spilling it. Yep. Yeah. But I think the idea of putting it in your hydro flask is a mm-hmm. wonderful idea. Yeah. It's um. So. I yeah. I, straws in general, I'm out on, but I'm I think it's appropriate to use a reusable straw. There's people who are like very pro straw. Yeah. I never got that. But that's again, like I just didn't get it. It's not like they were yeah. doing anything wrong. But there's some people who like only drink out of straws. Can oh, you imagine? Oh no! And you, you know what? And this reusable straw is like, it's like a uh, transformer. Yeah. Like it's it's unbelievable. Like yeah. it comes out, it it folds up like a wand. Like it's oh, it's no amazing. Way. Yeah. It's yeah. got like a a plastic membrane in the middle. It's metal. Okay. And it's four pieces. And you just stretch it out. It gives you a brush that's in the case that mm-hmm. you can clean it out. It's pretty yeah. awesome. This is uh, another little aside. But what is, like, I think about it with camping. And then I I always look at the people longingly, the people yeah. who are doing, like, the, the really backwoods stuff where they're going out in, like, the, the wilderness and camping. And they're bringing everything on their back and, like, the freeze-dried meals. I'm like, I'd like to do that someday. But... There's one thing that holds me back, other than my physical fitness, that holds me back from doing that. And um, I just, I love ice. I <laughs> drink way yeah, too that's... much. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I could take a week without ice in my drink. What is like one creature comfort that you have that you like, that would prevent you from doing something like that? Like, what do you need to have that's... That's a good question. Like, Let's this have... is, I guess to put it this way, yeah. I would much rather go... Um, I would need ice in my drink for a week. Like, I couldn't do that for a week, much more so than I couldn't go without toilet paper for a week. I could figure that out. Yeah. That wouldn't bother me. You, all but right. so, the ice in my drink, I would be long. Like, I would get back and I would be like, I just want 
like ice again. Now listen, I think for the first thing that came to mind for me is, and I mentioned this to you before, like I got a uh, a fitness watch, and the one thing mm-hmm. I realize is like one thing I do better than anything else is sleep. Yeah. Like I sleep mm-hmm. like a like a all star. I can't sleep if I'm sweaty. Yeah. Like if it's too hot, like if it's I can sleep in the cold. I can mm-hmm. add layers. I can do that. But if it's like summer, mm-hmm. like and that's when you want ice, you yeah. know. But if it were summer, like if it's hot enough where it's sweating, if I if I don't have a portable fan, mm-hmm. I can't I can't do it. I, I yeah. can't. I'll never sleep. Yeah. That's my I can't think of anything else. Like I just can't like yeah. I'd have to have a fan. Like I'd have to have some sort of fan. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good hot. one too. Because it's like, oh yeah, what do you do if um cold, you know, just keep lay I'll go to yep. sleep with all my clothes on. I'll put tomorrow's clothes on yeah. too. Like I wouldn't even mind wearing dirty clothes. Like yeah. I kinda that kinda, doesn't phase me at all. Fun. Um Th- yeah, that doesn't phase me at all. But it's like, yeah, it's I can just go the, without shaving. I can do all that. Like yeah. I can I can do without a lot of am- amenities, but if it's not cool enough at night, I- I'll never sleep. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I would love to hear what other people's things are, like that they can't, like they can't do without. And then it just like I'm like, how? What would like my do you great, think great, some- great grandparents say if they heard me complain <laughs> about like, too hot? <laughs> I need some ice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering what made me think with the straw is what kind of foot like this straw was so extravagant. Yeah, that what kind of footprint is that oh, creating yeah, yeah. compared to the other straws? Well, yeah, I know that was one of the things with the plastic bags is when you really boiled down um, the the resources that went into a single use plastic bag versus the even like a, the the far end was an organic cotton yeah. reusable bag. It was like, oh, you're going to have to use that cotton bag like. 2,500 times or something. It was some crazy number. It was basically you're using it every day for, for a decade before you had reached the, the lifespan or the footprint just of that one cotton bag versus one and, usable And bag. we've talked about this. And what I've learned is I can go without a bag. Yeah. I don't need a bag. Like I, I'll take the cart to my car, throw mm-hmm. it in the back, and then I'll walk up. There's some great ring footage of me. Yeah holding three half gallons of ice cream yep. like between my chin and my hand while trying to unlock the door, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm like, I'm not using a bag for this. Regard- yeah. Whether it's it's plastic or reusable, mm-hmm. yeah. I have learned that unless it's a big shopping, and then I'll, I'll recycle the cardboard that yep. they have sometimes just to take out. Like yeah. I don't need that, but yeah, I just can't sleep in it. If I'm sweating, there's no sleep being had yep. at all. Yep. So. so there you go. You have a two for one. Take it or leave it. <laughs> uh, I don't even. I don't even know how to describe. Uh, I guess neither. the second part wasn't a take it or leave it. It was. No. I guess it kind of was. It, it was, was like, information. What's the one thing yeah. that you could do without or can't do without? All right, we'll have what? to. All right, Alyssa Lewis, <laughs> we're we're our unofficial scribe or official scribe. We're going to task you with putting up the uh, yeah. the uh, post in uh, Native Plants Healthy yeah. Planet to uh see what other people can't live without and uh now i remembered what i actually if for uh full disclosure in the very beginning in the when i after the three three year anniversary yes. thing i had something i was gonna say that wasn't in our notes which i forgot okay i remembered in that last segment oh, all right what is i it? forgot again and then i just <laughs> remembered now and that was that um that we had our write up in in the blazing star. Oh, it did. That's come what out. I was going to talk it, about. And yes. uh, I love the description, the edgier and fast paced yes. podcast, which is I think exactly what we were going for. I, it, it was exactly what we were going it was, for. Um, it was we wanted to be the the 
Skip and Stephen A. of Native Plants. <laughs> we uh, we don't really argue that much, though. We're preposterous. Yes. <laughs> but it's an non The article, so the, the Blazing Star is the uh, monthly publication from the North American Native Plant Society, and it's one of the first articles in the publication, and uh, it was highlighted three native plant podcasts that they love to listen to, and we were one of the three. Um, and there is a difference between all three, and I think there's mm-hmm. a, a space for yeah. all three in a little bit different niche. One is a little more uh, more detailed mm-hmm. uh, in a good way. Like if you really want to dive in, it's going to be a little bit more detailed. The other one is is very uh, – almost nurturing. Not saying that we're not yeah. nurturing, but it's almost like a very holistic approach mm-hmm. to to ecology. And then us, which is – you know, a little bit of humor, a little mm-hmm. bit of fact, a little bit of of, of uh, speculation, ig- ig- yeah. ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you'll you'll you're more than you're you're more than guaranteed to at least take away one good thing from each episode. Yeah. So yeah, so that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you everyone for listening. To Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Thank you, R.J. Comer, for our buzz theme music. It wouldn't be the same without you. Make sure you stream or buy R.J.'s music uh, wherever you consume your music. Or uh, make sure you check out his Americana playlist on Pandora. You'll be happy that you did. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. Big shout out to the reels that Tom's been producing. Uh, you've been doing some great. You know, it's it's nice to see how how well they're being received mm-hmm. and shared, and uh, they're very uh, informational. And Tom's yeah, doing I have a to go record a bunch more because it's um this was a byproduct of hanging out with with uh it was well it was Kyle Lieberger yeah. and Jake and I were gonna have some lunch when I met up with them. They're like, hey, you mind if we invite these other guys? And it was this. Guy, Catman Outdoors, who's a, a YouTube hunter who yeah. I'm like, oh, I watch all your stuff. So, yeah, definitely yeah. come along. And then um, the guy, Alan Summerford, and then uh, another guy, uh, Jacob, who was a co-host of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. So now I'm dealing with people who have hundreds of thousands of YouTube subscribers or hundreds of thousands of listeners a month uh, to their podcasts or, or TikToks and all. And they were just kind of all sharing ideas. And um, I was just, like, making mental notes. Okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. So uh, that was some of the things that Kyle was saying, was, like, posting uh, YouTube shorts and, and all this different stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to try some of this. And it was just cool. Like, you you do it and, like, just taking those little tidbits of information. It's like, oh, man, that got 7,000 views. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's – my wife always puts me in, in perspective, too, because then it's like, well, oh, but Kyle's getting – Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. <laughs> then she's but like, even Kyle started somewhere. Have, yeah, she's like, if you were to have 7,000 people, if you were to give a talk, and like a 10-minute talk, and you had 7,000 people there, don't you think you'd be really happy about that? And think like, about that. That would, yeah, no, lo- you're right. <laughs> locally, you're you're selling out, you're selling yeah. out the Met. Yeah. Like, think oh, about yeah. that. Imagine if we did talk and we had that many people, yeah. you know, but you're giving it to them in short, digestible, exactly, uh, consumable yeah. Tidbits that they can share and enjoy and and watch a few times and get something out of it each time that maybe yeah. they missed the first time. So. And I think that's an important takeaway for everybody. Is um, is friend? How do we get on this? By the way, uh, where where in the credits were we? Oh, I was well. I was shouting out <laughs> oh, our social yeah, yeah, media yeah. and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. <laughs> yeah. You know, but no, it's it's. Yeah. Uh, I just want to commend if you haven't yeah. seen them, check out. They've been posted on all of our social media. It's a a credit to everyone, really. Yeah. Just. 
yeah, do if you do a little bit and you get ten people. Uh, we, if you had ten people listening to your spiel on native plants, I think a lot of people. I would be happy. People were talking to me talk about my yard for, or for te- like ten people were saying, "Oh wow, this is kind of cool." That would be awesome. And you know, I I have to say as a side note, I know I'm getting off topic now, but I was part of a conversation about deer in our local township town talk post, and I have gotten spoiled by being part of a very nurturing Mm -hmm. and knowledgeable community, and I realized how uninformed so many people in this talk were or how their information they thought was fact, which was nothing more than myth and opinion. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, I don't even know how to have this conversation because it's not going to be – received well at all Mm -hmm. you know uh, about deer and habitat and and defragmentation it was just most people didn't know and didn't care Mm -hmm. they they really didn't yep you know and it was i i feel very fortunate to be in this very nurturing artistic environment with our listeners Mm -hmm. and sometimes when you stroll outside of that (laughs) it's not as well received but if we can keep converting one mm-hmm. from that group to this group every now and then it would it would go a yeah. long way oh, yeah. so if you can if you could do something like that and and get a couple people to to watch and maybe think it's a wonderful thing mm-hmm. uh don't forget about the question and comment line you can call us at 215-346-6189 i will repeat 215-346-6189 ask a question or leave a comment we'll try to uh to the best of our ability play it on a future episode of the buzz and uh, as we were just talking about our wonderful Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group and how uh, wonderful of a community that is, uh, make sure you join it if you're not already a member. Yeah, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a link right at the top takes you to our, our Teespring store, and we have a whole bunch of different designs. And it's not just shirts. It's all kinds of stuff, phone cases, aprons. Uh, baby onesies. You can get whatever you want. That's a great gift, by the way. Give a baby yeah. onesie. Oh, that's so a wonderful gift. It's your sister-in-law. Just had a baby. Native plants, healthy planet, baby onesie. Plant native plants. They're they're, they're going to be doing that for life. You know, mm-hmm. your your parents are the originator of the uh, – uh, do you remember like our one of our customers had twins and your parents had custom onesies made and it had like wetlands with an arrow down. <laughs> oh, no. I, yeah. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember yeah. what the other one said. One yeah. said wetlands with an arrow down. I can't remember. I'll have to yeah. look up what the other oh, one that, was. Maybe I should make those. Yeah. There you go. Maybe it's like a whole for, for ecologists, baby onesies. <laughs> I like it. It's a whole line. <laughs> but um, so you can listen to Native Plains. Oh, yeah. With our, our merch sales, we don't keep anything. We no. take it and we give it to organizations that really deserve it. Uh, it's all our judgment. So it's um, basically someone will really impress us with what they're doing and say, hey, we want to put that money towards them. Um, so it's not only are you making a fashion statement and a, a, just a, an ecology statement, you're also in a roundabout way giving back to some of these organizations. So uh, you can listen to our podcast, Native Plants Healthy Planet, at uh, really on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you consume your podcasts. Um, you can even ask Alexa to play Native Plants Healthy Planet. And she will do your your wish and command. Yes. And yeah. um, if you do, it do us a big favor. If it's at all possible, leave a five-star review. Hit subscribe. That goes a long way. And if you do a little write-up, I'll give you a listener shout-out. So Awesome. All right. What do, yeah. you, what do you got for a secret? Yeah, so we were just uh, – we had our little off-script discussion about reclining on planes. And where I said I, I am in the team never recline. Um, I hate when people recline in front of me. I understand the seat is designed to do that. Yes. 
It's their right to do it. It's their right to do it. But I think it's uh, awfully inconsiderate (laughs) to to tall people (laughs) like me. And and I do want to admit that I have reclined on a plane once. And uh, it was actually completely by accident. And I did not even know I reclined until the stewardess came up and said, hey, can you put your seat back up? We're getting ready to land. And I was like, my seat's reclined? (laughs) 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 I had no idea. I Somehow I hit the button in my sleep, I guess, and I went back. And I don't know. But uh, and I was so embarrassed. I was like, "I'm I'm a I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. Wow! Everything I've stand for is is gone. <laughs> it's a sham." And, and, um, <laughs> but yeah, I know that's a whole that whole debate can get people going. So yeah, uh, I would love to see what our listener makeup is if they're if they're recliners or not recliners. All right, let's say if if you've never seen it, Ellen DeGeneres has a fantastic skit about reclining on an airplane that I think you would appreciate. Where it's like. Uncomfortable, comfortable, <laughs> like uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah. comfortable. She goes, "You're only you're, it's a it's a two inch difference on an airplane, yeah. which is yeah. very true." So, all right. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have a fabulous guest. We've actually recorded uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Curran from Abnova, and I, I think you'll see how very similar what he's doing out in the Midwest mm-hmm. and what. Uh, Dr. Shevitz is yeah. doing here and other parts of the world are very similar but coming from a different ways, and they both have very unique journeys of how they got to where they go. So I think that these two will tie together very well. Mm-hmm. It just ha- We didn't do it on purpose. It just kind of happened. Uh, so I think uh, it's, it's going to be another fantastic episode, and we're, we're looking forward to, to putting it out in the world for you to hear. So make sure you tune in again next time, and until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.